In this episode, we discuss the first principles of smart manufacturing. My guest on this episode is Conrad Levia. Conrad is the VP of Ecosystem and Workforce Development at SESME, the Smart Manufacturing Institute. In his role, Conrad is accelerating smart manufacturing adoption and education programs through a national ecosystem of regional centers, technology partnerships, and education institutions. A recognized industry authority, he engages manufacturing business leaders, educators, and practitioners across all dimensions of industry to develop and share knowledge on both the how and why to leverage information technology in manufacturing. Conrad is also the chair of the Smart Manufacturing Working Group at Mesa International, and he has over 20 years of experience in manufacturing systems development and implementation, and he holds an MS in Industrial Engineering from the Georgia Institute of Technology. A quick thank you to our sponsors. This episode is made possible by our friends at HiveMQ, who are providers of an enterprise-grade edge and cloud-based MQTT broker. So please do check them out to help support this podcast. Welcome to the fourth generation podcast here on Industry 4.0 TV, which is a series of weekly interviews designed to help you learn industrial IoT from some of the world's leading practitioners. So if you're new here, please do subscribe and click on the notification bell to make sure that you never miss any of the interviews. If you find this conversation interesting, please review it with five stars on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, and you can also connect with me on LinkedIn at Kudzai Manditereza. Now, here is my interview with Conrad. So, Conrad, I would like to welcome you and uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's uh, yes. great to be here discussing important topics. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So, today I, I would like to talk to you about the first principles of uh, smart manufacturing, which is uh, based off of your article that you. Uh, uh, published uh, recently, so I'm going to uh, link that in the in the uh, description uh, for 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 our view, viewers to uh, and listeners to check out. So yeah, thank you. You are the VP uh, of Ecosystem and uh, Workforce Education at an organization called SESME. So maybe you can begin by giving us an introduction into SESME. What is it and what does it do? Yeah, so uh, says me the Clean Energy Smart Manufacturing Innovation Institute. <laughs> it's it's quite a mouthful, but it's it's one of the uh, one of seventeen uh, manufacturing USA institutes uh, funded by the U.S. government to uh, promote manufacturing technologies and advance the. Uh, the, the technologies in, in manufacturing and each one in, in the U.S., focus on the U.S., and each one is focused on, on different technologies. Uh, one is robotics, one is uh, additive, you know, and SESME is the Smart Manufacturing Institute. And it was uh, funded in, in 2017 with a mission to democratize smart manufacturing, meaning ma making smart manufacturing methodologies and technologies more uh, affordable and accessible to small and medium manufacturers. We do that through technology projects and also through education and workforce development. We have over 150 members and uh, they span from 
manufacturers to system integrators, technology vendors, and educators. So it's a great ecosystem. And a lot of what we do is match people together to work on projects and, and, and move the smart manufacturing agenda forward. Interesting. So the, the concept of smart manufacturing has been around for quite some time. Uh, however, in my interactions with the community, I see that there's a lot of organizations and professionals who still do not have a clear picture of what it's all about. So could you give us a definition of smart manufacturing, perhaps by giving us a brief history of how it all came to be? Yeah, yeah. So your point is very important. And one of the, the first things um, we did at SESME was we need to define smart manufacturing clearly for everybody because um, it, it, it tends to be viewed sometimes as an umbrella over everything. And But we have actually a very specific agenda for smart manufacturing that has evolved over the years, like you said. So it, it, it actually, this journey started around 2005, 2006. Uh, when um, advances in connectivity, data handling, and computing power were really uh, led to the term cyber infrastructure. And industry leaders started uh, getting together and looking at what they could do with the cyber infrastructure and how they could improve manufacturing operations. And... Um, in, in 2006, the term smart plant and smart process manufacturing were actually coined out of a report of one of these gatherings uh, that was done by the National Science Foundation on cyber infrastructure for industry. So um, the, the thought leaders there were already thinking, okay, let's define what a smart plant looks like and what smart process manufacturing lo look like. And, and, and soon after that, a group um, was formed, the Smart Manufacturing Leadership Coalition, bringing together uh, manufacturers, engineers, academics. And in 2011, they published a vision for smart manufacturing, which really uh, led the... The, the, the roadmap here for smart manufacturing. And, and in parallel, um, in Germany, for example, uh, they were starting to work on Industry 4.0 concepts around that time. And some of those early works actually re referred to the smart factory concept also, but they settled on Industry 4.0. And in 2014, they, they published a roadmap. And that initiative and what was unique about the German industry is that it was really driven for, by government because they saw the importance of manufacturing to their economy, all the machine builders, and, and they, they have a lot of industry and economic growth around this industry. So uh, soon after the US in, in 2016 funds SESME, the Smart Manufacturing Institute. And in 2017, we published uh, the SESME Roadmap. And many of the industry leaders actually that started that their work at the Smart Manufacturing Leadership Coalition are still here at SESME um, in, the, in this ecosystem, helping move uh, 
the agenda forward and helping others um, in their journey to smart manufacturing. Okay, so that's yeah, that's very interesting. So what I'll do here is I'll uh, I'll read your definition of smart manufacturing from the article. Uh, so it says smart manufacturing is the information driven, event driven, efficient, and collaborative orchestration of business, physical, and digital processes within plants, factories, and across the entire value chain. Now there are some interesting key terms in that definition that I would like you to unpack for us. Uh, for example, we've got information-driven, event-driven, efficient, and collaborative orchestration. Yeah. What do you mean by those terms in the in So the definitely, we, yeah, and, and this, um, we, we went through through a lot of iterations of this and, and, and carefully picked some of these terms and still try to do it in plain English is, is tough, <laughs> but, but Information driven um, is very key, right? And it's always been part of all these. So we took a lot of the terms that have been kicked around and as part of those goals and visions over the last years and say, okay, let's let's focus on what most uh, people mean by smart manufacturing. And information driven means that um, we're basing our decision, decision-making on data is information-driven. And it's not just, we picked information instead of data-driven because we want to talk about data with contextual information and information modeling all is, is very key to smart manufacturing. Event-driven, uh, that is a, a nod to the real-time nature of smart manufacturing that we want uh, it's a, as things happen, as events happen, we need to react to them and act to them. So we can't be driving manufacturing through the rear window, rear view uh, uh, mirror. So uh, efficient, because uh, why are we doing all these things? Because we want to do things more efficiently, increase performance and productivity are a big part of smart manufacturing. And collaborative, because we're bringing down the silos, the walls between departments. And uh, starting with the IT, OT wall uh, that has existed in manufacturing for many years. And the walls be between business, physical, and digital processes. So we used to be, uh, you know, business systems over here our physical plans over here and we're driven all through paper. And when we, part of putting this digital infrastructure in place is to bring it all closer together and that everybody has visibility to what the other person handovers are, are better within the plants, factories and into the supply chain. Oh, nice. So, what I would like us to focus on now is the, the seven principles of smart manufacturing. Uh, you define these as principles that are required to establish a, a goalpost for smart manufacturing. And, and, and that by following these principles, uh, systems designers and architects will be able to implement solutions that uh, thrive in smart manufacturing. Now, one of those principles is flat and real time. Could you describe that principle for us? Yeah. So we. We went beyond, so the definition kind of defines the what, uh, what smart manufacturing is. And then we said, we got to go beyond that. 
we have to start drilling into the how and uh, set these guiding principles because uh, there's been a, because we figured out that we realized that if we keep implementing systems the way we've been doing it for the last uh, decade, that um, there's been a lot of creating islands of information and fragile integrations and, and systems that are hard to upgrade and, and, be, and, and become a lock-in for manufacturers. So they become a constraint to innovation. So we said, let's sit down and put these uh, principles together and explain them and explain how they help uh, really future-proof your, your systems. And, and like you mentioned, one of the first ones is uh, flat and real time. So as I said before, event driven, right? We we want to make sure that uh, things happen immediately. And, um, and and by the way, there's a lot of close relationship between these <laughs> these principles, and, and sometimes it's hard to talk about one without mentioning the other. So that might happen during <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the discussion. But let's talk about the flatness, right? But there's a relationship. Um, there is a history of, of plants being very hierarchical, of organizational structures being hierarchical. By the way, these are not strictly uh, just systems architecture principles. They also are organizational structure <laughs> or principles, right? This is where we're bringing the physical and the digital together, right? So, so we want to enable distributed decision-making more real time, empower more decision locally, uh, next closer to the machine, closer to the cell. But how does management still uh, maintain visibility of what's going on and, and are active in that? So we don't need five, six layers of, of management. We don't need all these layers of systems um, between machines and then going up to the SCADA layer and then going up to the MES layer and then going up to the ERP layer if you think of the ISA 95 model right that was established around the 70s. Um, we right now can have a much more collapsed uh, model that doesn't skip any of those functions but we can send data, publish, subscribe data uh, which you've talked about in some of your other podcasts, right? To many places. And this is where the power happens. Uh, one of the big powers of going digital is that when we were in paper, even though a lot of forms had those yellow copies and we did a few things in parallel, <laughs> for the most part, it was very sequential. You know, the paper moved through the organization very sequentially, but data doesn't need to move that way. Data can be distributed out to many departments at the same time. And that is all uh, part of the smart manufacturing concepts that by getting that data to more people at the same time can do more things in parallel. It can be a much flatter real-time reaction to what, what is happening on the plant floor. Okay, interesting. So another... Uh, principle that is of interest uh, is the scalable principle uh, with cloud and edge being the, 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 the cloud and edge computing being the uh, enablers. Can you, can you describe that one to us? Yeah, so scalability is very important. 
there's several dimensions to 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 scalability. Let me um, start with. Um, it's hard to talk about it without interoperability. So, which is another one of the concepts too. But let's let's try to address uh, the um, the computational part. Um, in general, the idea of scalability is that as complexity increases, as we bring more machines connected, as we connect more of our divisions together in a, in a big enterprise, as we connect the supply chain, that things don't get so complex that it also brings cost and, and the effort up of maintaining these systems up exponentially. We want to at least maintain a linear um, relationship between how how we're adding things and and the cost and effort, but it, they tend to grow exponentially if if there's not thought about that from the beginning. So, cloud has been a big enabler of this for scalability um, because I mean I mean really it, it allows organizations to almost forget about. Uh, not even think about scale some of the scalability, right? I mean, the, in the background, the the cloud provider can keep adding machines and stuff and infrastructure, and scale their computing power. And sometimes we we just take it for granted that that this transaction keeps happening. Uh, you know, <laughs> I press the button and something happens there in a few seconds. Uh, and, and when it delayed a little bit, I'm I'm like, what, what? Yeah. <laughs> right. So we want that kind of performance in, in manufacturing. It's not, uh, we want to take advantage of all these methodologies. But to do that, we need to have systems assigned more modular, right? Uh, more upgradable because upgrades are, are, are very important. Um, and that means that they cannot be so tightly integrated that that complexity of integration may create a fragility. And that's where the relationship to interoperability and openness is very important. So we need to, the way we connect things needs to be in an open, very API driven way, not instead of a very proprietary way. Okay. We'll get back to that. But cloud also, I just want to mention on cloud, though, that we don't mean that everything needs to move to the cloud. Okay. So so it means that you need to leverage cloud services and, and put them where they need to be. So it's really about looking at all these layers. Now, a lot of what we're doing on premise, we're, we're in close to the machine we're calling edge, edge computing. Um, uh, the way I think of edge is on-premise with, with, with an intent to go to the cloud. Uh, data, data has an intent to go to the cloud, then it's edge. If we never intend to send it to the cloud or something, then it's on-premise, right? <laughs> on -premise. But, but, once we, uh, but once we have that intent, we're thinking about the edge as part of a bigger ecosystem, a uh, landscape of IT system, which in, includes cloud. And there's ways to transition that without rip and replace and, and start the old factory. So you and and it's become so much more affordable with IoT sensors, with edge devices, with gateways, 
to connect things in the plant. That's all um, part of that scalability, that it, uh, the affordability of it. And actually, one of the one of the missions of Sesame is that I remember I talked uh, on the technology side. What are we doing? Is is demonstrating through uh, platforms, through integration methodologies, how a lot of these integrations can be designed to be more plug and play. How you can uh, establish information models as you go along, so that the next time you are going to go connect something, you look at the library of information models and you leverage that instead of starting from scratch. That's part of starting to reduce that integration cost, uh, which is part of that scalability, is that the next time you do it, it has to become cheaper than the first time you do it. Oh, okay, that's awesome. Uh, perhaps let's, let's, let's uh, move on to the um uh, the principle of uh, interoperability because uh, like interoperability is a big topic i mean in, in in smart manufacturing in fact i would i would have been surprised if that had been left out as one of the core principles and uh, so could you explain to us your idea of interoperable inter interoperable and open as far as smart manufacturing is concerned and and, and maybe as you already alluded to, uh, the information modeling aspect of it is, 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 is crucial. So could you also talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's a very crucial point. Um, over the last like five years or something, th there was a movement, or maybe it was a little more, but the, when data likes came to bear, um, and, and the term big data, data lakes, there was a big movement to, to grab any data that you can get your hands on and put it into the data lake. And, and we can put data models on it later on runtime. So don't worry about it. Just put data into the data lake and think about it later. Really, that has not panned out. That's panned out, and you 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 hear people say, "Oh, we got so much data, and we're not doing much with it." Right? I, I think Gardner has the numbers like seventy percent or over fifty percent for sure of the data collected wasn't even being used. So, um, we're really a proponent of information modeling and that thought process behind information modeling happening a little more upfront. So. Really, you collect data for specific purposes. Uh, is it to track performance? Is it to uh, do machine monitoring for productivity reasons? Is it for diagno future diagnostics and, and troubleshooting? So with these ideas in mind, you are collecting data. And then since you have that idea in mind, you're collecting data about assets, you're collecting data about your manufacturing processes, and there should be certain information models that enable, that bring that data and the context together and kind of sets it up for analysis in a way that you can create an, an analytical models that go after certain information models in a very repeatable, reusable way. So if if my if 
if every time I'm, I'm going to do an analysis about a, a CNC process, about a cement casting process, we, there's certain variables there we're looking for. I can generalize the algorithms that optimize the process and the algorithm is looking for certain data and I can apply then those real-time uh, methodologies as they happen. And I can reuse them somewhere else. I, the information model becomes a guideline for somebody else. Hey, if you organize your data this way, by the way, I have a whole library of things you can use against that information model. So those are some of the concepts that we promote as part of interoperability, separate um, the information modeling from the from the application, you know, uh, so that they're they're more like a contract of how they're going to exchange data. It's established up front, and then make that open. So, so yeah. there are vendors that have ways to do this within their suite of products, between their machine and tightly integrated software and stuff like that. But but that that does vendor lock in. Right, and that creates another constraint, and things are moving so fast. So part of what we want to do to future-proof our system is that we need to promote open ways, more standard ways to do things. So we're um, we're a big promoter. Uh, we're working with OPC Foundation, with many other partners, MT Connect, and um, with VDMA in Germany, um, and in those efforts with the Asset Library. So so that all these libraries become open and available. but And we need all the vendors to support it. I mean, we just had Rockwell join Sesame. Um, that's great. And we believe that to support the speed of innovation and manufacturing, interoperability is very key for the future. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Uh, such... Um... Projects really need the backing of the of the of the of the corporate sector, and um, uh, one of the projects that I'm really interested in that you 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 are a part of is the OPC uh, OPC Cloud Library. But I think that's really mm -hmm. a, a very very useful uh, platform to have. Oh yeah, definitely yeah yeah, and we're uh, so um, when. So, so something, if, if, if people don't look at standards, you can implement a lot of these technologies and do it just looking inside and say, you know, everybody can, I'll create my own information model. I'm not going to wait for the standard or participate in standard, but, but looking at yourself as an island, it's uh, a silo itself. It, it, we believe that it's not the way, the best way. By creating an ecosystem where we are all exchanging data, best practices, crowdsourcing things, really you you expand your talent pool. You, you because you're 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 tapping into this whole network of people, like you know, like the, all these speakers you bring on the show, right? Yeah, they're all some of the the smartest brains in the industry, right? But they're not all within your company. They're all they might be in the next company, the other company. But when you work in open libraries, forums, consortia, in groups like OPC Foundation, uh, VDMA in Germany, we're tapping into all of the knowledge in Europe. Um, you you're basically leveraging all the knowledge of that ecosystem. Now, there's a way to do it that doesn't slow you down. 
So a lot of what we promote is also object-oriented, extendable methods. Um, so, if, and if you want to learn more about this, by the way, Sesame is a is is a great place. I'll say it again at the end, but to join us, follow us, and we can point you to the right places. But OPC Library is one of the places where we're trying to accumulate knowledge, and and the library at Sesame at OPC VDMA we're connecting all these libraries, so they all start cross becoming part of a broader library. Uh, so the idea is when, when you are going to do an information model on a certain kind of machine, on a heat tunnel, on a, a you know, conveyor belt, and a robot, first go to the library, look. So what, what have other people done? You might find one or two models there, and then look at those as a starting point. Pick something close and then extend that. You know, and by the way, if you extend it yourself, I mean, you might think that's part of your secret sauce if you do, but if you don't, contribute your extension back, you know, make it available, and then it keeps getting better and better. So, those are some of the ideas that we're promoting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. Now, maybe as a follow up to the, uh, the topic of interoperability, I would like to get your take on what the role of ISA 95 is. In, in, in smart manufacturing? Yeah. Well, ISA 95, uh, I mentioned it a little bit, and in, 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 uh, a lot of folks view it as a very hierarchical, structured way to, to pass information. ISA 95 actually started way back as the SIM model, the Purdue model, the SIM wheel. A lot of these core concepts of how manufacturing functions are are divided and exchange data uh, have been matured through through these standards and have become part of standards like ISA 95. So I, I like to refer back to it all the time from a functional point of view, mostly. Okay. Um, uh, and it's important because if we're going to establish how things link together, create information models. Let's look at best practices that have been around for many years. However, don't look at it as a constraint, you know, that it has to go the, those layers. They had like five layers of, of, of systems, um, also part of it, but I, I like to look more of the X95, um, I think it's called the part five or something, but where all the functional blocks are uh, like, like scheduling, uh, inventory control, uh, data collection, um, quality management, and, and look at how those exchange data. I think that part is very interesting, but, and also they talk about how to bring together resource models, asset models, and bring in people into that whole process model. So a lot of times some focus are very, some people are very focused on asset um, assets and, and modeling assets and asset-centric, machine-centric modeling and solving problems around machines and, and predictive modeling, predictive maintenance and things like that. But, but there is so much more to gain from looking at how assets become part of a process model in an ISA 95 type of uh, environment and look at it, doing that optimization at that level. And then taking it even further, that whole factory and plant as a node in a supply network. 
and let's look at optimizing that, right? And that's where you start applying those digital lean concepts and leaning out the whole business process, eliminating waste, uh, identifying bottlenecks, all at the enterprise level. So another one of, uh, uh, of, of the principles that you've uh, uh, outlined is uh, the proactive and semi-autonomous uh, principle. Uh, can you describe what that looks like? And, and yeah. perhaps also provide some examples of some techniques there. Yeah, yeah. So why, why are we collecting data? So this is actually one of those key differentiators here. Why are we collecting all this data and what are we doing with it? Is to really take action on it. Okay, so one of the things we talk about is that we have to go beyond just thinking of data as, as a part of collecting data and putting it on a dashboard, you know, um, and just collecting it for metrics. Uh, that's that's a, a, a very basic step, but that's not smart manufacturing. To make it really leap into smart, we have to look at taking turning that data into information and putting it into analytics yeah and intelligence and trying to automate the routine decisions you know and, and that's not where 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 people aren't doing a big contribution because we can automate this type of optimization decision simple decision gates that should be automated and we should leave the human for the non-routine handling. But what we also have to think of that a lot of these things cannot be fully automated either. And the idea that AI is gonna take over and stuff, AI is gonna be more artificial intelligence, more of a assistant really. That we're gonna automate as many things as we can automate. That they, those start becoming routine, but there will always be special situations that come up. This, this is a complex environment, a lot of variables, and it's better to think of it in how do we bring the attention of the decision makers to the non-routine situations that come up, right? And so that's a, a very important aspect. And so something we, we talk about is the data sensing analysis and process control loop at the heart of smart manufacturing. So you capture data, you contextualize data, you apply analytics to it, and optimization algorithms and methods, and you also use it to optimize your process control. So you have to make the adjustments back, turn those knobs automatically or other people. What, is what are you changing? The action you're taking that's the proactive part of this, that you're doing all this so you can take actions and keep improving, fine tuning, or just maintaining uh, the, this, the process within specs, but you can also be improving the process and the whole eliminating waste, improving energy consumption, um, uh, improving the use of resources in general. And that's where the sustainability sustainable manufacturing part comes in play that with all this data we can make better decisions about how we use resources and optimize the use of resources 
And all of that is eventually contributing to the environment too. Oh, okay, interesting. I guess this this would be a nice segue into the 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 other one of your principles, which is the sustainable and energy efficient principle. Can you explain uh, that one to us in more detail, and perhaps yeah. provide some methodologies uh, around that? Yeah, sure. So uh, there's some very uh, specific examples of how intelligence, AI-based machine learning techniques are being applied in manufacturing, right? And uh, all the way from, from uh, safety uh, cautions that are automated for the plant, uh, a lot of predictive maintenance on machines to uh, lower downtime, vision systems that might improve quality, augmented reality to augment the worker, um, all, a lot of these are based on AI techniques being used, but one of, of them is this uh, optimization methodologies. Um, we have great examples of um, working with energy intensive industries or with cement industry, uh, with chemical processing industry, with food industry, where uh, in our project, they have developed the information models and the machine learning algorithms to apply to certain problems to make huge energy reductions in their in specific processes and do it in a way that is reusable and we can scale it into using that whole industry. So th this is a very important part of how we become more sustainable manufacturing by not just optimizing that process at that one manufacturer, which is very important for that manufacturer, but uh, the reason we're a national institute is that we're trying to get these practices out to industry, learn, learn through one, two implementations in a few manufacturers, but to then package this knowledge put it in the library, make it available to industry so that we are really then applying those energy savings, those productivity improvements to the to whole industries. You know? so, so, so we have great examples of that. And a lot of that is, is facilitated by standardizing some of the reporting, like carbon footprint reporting uh, derived from a data collected from machines and, and processes. Um, we can, you know, the, just parts and material traceability uh, is very important because uh, where where is all, all that? Where are we losing weight, uh, material? Where are we creating scrap? What, what kind of yields do we have in different process in that material chain? When, there's so all kinds of energy and and um, carbon footprint along the way, all the way from raw materials to that package in the shelf of your grocery store. So, yeah. so looking at that whole process, eliminating waste along that process, there's all this side benefit of eliminating a wasted energy, wasted resources, uh, and improving the footprint. And then and then we can also promote more efficient ways to uh, 
to use more uh, reusable, renewable energy. A lot of the Department of Energy efforts are along those um, those lines. So we welcome you to follow a lot of the efforts of, from from Sesame and the Department of Energy in how we're helping manufacturers become more energy efficient, more um, improve their carbon footprint. Also, awesome. Awesome. I mean, there's there's a lot to talk about uh, here because I mean, even like as you mentioned, a lot of these principles they are interrelated to 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 some degree. So before we close this session, is there anything that you think you, we might have left out that you'd like us to to to, to point out to the audience as far as the principles are concerned? Um, well, I think um, we we didn't talk much about the supply chain. Mentioned it a little bit, and and security. One of the uh, the principles is that this all has to be in a very done in a very secure way. But that in itself can take up a forty five minute slot, and, and I'm sure you you will have some other expert online to talk about that. Just reassure folks that there are ways to secure data that just that security shouldn't be an excuse of not connecting things of not sharing information that there's ways to do it in a way you don't have to make all your data public you don't have to be worried about losing intellectual property there's ways to do this uh and maintain your uh your your truly important information to yourself and still increase the, the level of transparency in the supply chain. So I encourage you to, to go to Sesame, uh, uh, sesame.org uh, to get more information about a lot of these practices. We're continuously uh, participating in conferences, uh, providing lectures. There's a lot of resources available for you. So take advantage of the tools. We're a national institute. We're making tools available, resources available, education available. There's a list of educational resources and partners with education programs on our website. So, so I just welcome you to, to uh, join Sesame, become part of the ecosystem here that's helping with these concepts, helping uh, get them out at... Uh, to the masses, helping small medium manufacturers. If you are a consultant, help, helping small medium manufacturers, we have tools for you to help get these practices into the hands of small medium manufacturers. There, there are a lot that you can do at a much lower cost that you could do before. So I just want folks to be reassured that this these methodologies are accessible to more and more manufacturers every day. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. So yeah, we are going to be uh, providing links to all of those uh, projects and to the Sesame website in the description below, and also to the article, which I would in encourage a lot of our readers to go out and read, as it is packed with a lot of uh, 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 insightful information as far as smart manufacturing is concerned. So that brings us to the end uh, of this session. Uh, Conrad, thank you so much for coming through to the show. Thank you, and thank you for having me, and thank you for sharing all the information you do through your podcast. Thank you. Thank you.